It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, April 16th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. Inflation hits another 40-year high as President Biden takes another step to bring down gas prices. I'm committed to whatever I can to help, even if it's an extra buck or two in the pockets that they fill up. In Congress is a way what lawmakers travel tells us about the agenda. So it sounds kind of busy. It's not right. exactly, well, you know, everybody kicks their feet up on the desk. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. The price you're paying to fill up is again taking a lot of President Biden's time and travel. He spoke in Iowa this week to announce a waiver of an environmental regulation that will allow E15 gasoline, a higher ethanol blend, to be sold through the summer in order to increase fuel supply. E15 is about 10 cents a gallon cheaper, but can cause more smog and other greenhouse gases, environmentalists say. Still, the price of fuel is one of the driving forces of inflation, up year over year at a 40-year high. Cars, groceries, commodities all cost more. At the same time, other economic indicators are showing strength. The labor market is hot. Even spending is on the rise. It can seem like a lot of contradiction. Edward Lawrence covers the White House and the Biden administration's economic policies for the Fox Business Network and helps make sense of the steps being taken, the steps not being taken, and what impact it could all have on your financial outlook. 
There are a number of issues, and you can go down them. Uh, you know, one of which uh, the the president's policies that he enacted in place that that sort of set off all of this inflation in in motion. Um, you know, the, the from the day he canceled the Keystone Pipeline, that was a signal to the energy industry to stop investing uh, in drilling for oil, in drilling uh, and expanding that capacity for drilling. That sort of set in motion the higher gas prices that we're seeing. The higher gas prices that we're seeing translates into inflation, pushing inflation because it costs more to send the goods to the stores. Uh, so, but then you've also got to mix in the supply chain problems where China had locked down factories. Uh, in fact, now they're doing it again. Mm -hmm. um, and then that caused a surge in products once those factories reopened. That surge clogged the ports which couldn't handle the amount of ships and whatnot that came in. So ships were sitting out in sea as people were waiting on their items. Uh, then that put stress on the, the middle mile, so to speak, getting it off the ships and then getting it onto trucks and to the warehouses, which then put stress once it went to the warehouses on that final mile going out to your house. So you had the supply chain issues from the reopening of COVID. You had uh, the problems with the um, inflation related to the policies and, and reducing uh, dependence on, on fossil fuels or trying to reduce dependence on fossil fuels. So it's a confluence of events. Uh, and then now the final event here has been the invasion of Ukraine, which has pushed gas mm -hmm. prices up, uh, as you know, and food prices soon to follow with Ukraine being a major wheat exporter. I was going to mention that the other thing that sort of seemed to compound this is just sort of like demand for everything going up, right? I mean, you had people that are now driving back to work, maybe. Maybe they had gone, you know, weeks without needing to fill up their gas tank can't do that anymore you have you know businesses that are trying to to hire back waiters and, and staff right i mean how much of that plays into sort of the the inflationary pressures of an economy and that does play a factor in the inflationary pressures but also when we were in the pandemic when we were all locked down in our homes instead of going out to restaurants instead of going to see disneyland or going mm -hmm. to an amusement park or going to the movie theater we were buying things so the money that would have been used to go out to those places was being used to buy stuff now a lot of people did work on their homes a lot of people mm -hmm. uh you know went and, and bought uh workout equipment at home <laughs> yeah. so what it did was it bought the the it used up the inventory that companies had had uh in their warehouses and, and sort of sent all that inventory out into the into the customers so then the companies turned to their manufacturers who some of which had a large uh you know large in footprint in China said, hey, give us more stuff. And they said, oh, well, we can't. Our factory shut down. So right. that that started sort of the chain domino effect of all what we're seeing now. Now, we're starting to see some services being used. People are starting to go out to eat uh, for mm -hmm. dinner. People are starting to travel. So that change to services is still there. But, you know, then you mentioned the labor shortage that then, you know, plays into effect the effect of, well, you know, people were at home. They weren't taking jobs. They were working off the savings they got. They were working off the checks that the government gave them. They were working off unemployment. They had rental assistance where they didn't need to pay rent. So mm -hmm. they were flush with cash, spending money, and didn't need to go to work. So all plays together. It's, it's sort of you, a you, perfect storm that leads to this inflation. You mentioned something else about um, sort of the, the inflation that, that we're seeing now that I, I wanted to pull the string on a little bit, because you said now people are starting to do the things they didn't do, maybe go on vacation, maybe, you know, buy a car, things like that. Right. 
generally those are activities that that would sort of slow down in an inflation era, right? Is it At, unique that is that, true that spending hasn't really been diminished with with prices where they are? That is true, but that could go to a psyche or a mindset in that, hey, people are so tired of being in the same place. <laughs> they are so tired <laughs> of looking at the same walls or being in the same kitchen, and they just want to get out to go somewhere. Airfare is up 28% in the yeah. latest inflation report, but yet people are still buying air tickets, or airline tickets. Uh, now, international travel has, has sort of not picked up yet. But domestic right. travel is really starting to pick up. People feeling more comfortable going from, you know, east coast to west coast, west coast to the southeast, to the southwest. Uh, they just feel more comfortable getting out. The island syndrome, right? You know, they're, they're so <laughs> sick of being in, at home in, in the same place. They got to get out. Yeah. I, listen, I, and that's why I was curious, because oftentimes you see people are spending more on gas. They're spending more on groceries. So maybe they're not taking that family vacation. You've not seen that trend yet, though, in your reporting. We have not seen that trend. In fact, the retail sales came out uh, and, you know, month over month, 0.5 percent overall retail sales. And that is pretty much uh, it's a little bit below expectations. So there's some pullback there. But when you take out autos, when, when you take out the amount of money and, and purchases that was done on automobiles, um, spending actually rose 1.1 percent month over month. Uh, and, and that's a big deal. You know, autos obviously coming out because they have a supply chain issue with the mm -hmm. semiconductors. So the prices of new cars and used cars are, are really through the roof. As we look at sort of the politics of it, right, what's like an economist working at the White House or even the president sort of supposed to do with all of this contradictory sort of data out there, right? You have obviously a pretty good job market. You have people that are still spending money in the economy, but inflation is very high. We know the political reality of that. The president this week uh, announced that he will allow this E15, this uh, ethanol-infused gasoline, to continue to be sold in the summer despite some of the environmental concerns. Is, is that something that sort of signals that, you know, what the timeline might be looking like from a White House perspective for some of these inflationary pressures? In, in other words, do they think that if we can get through the summer, some of this is going to start to ease up? Well, the White House does believe, uh, and they constantly point back to the Federal Reserve, which says that they, they're forecasting that inflation will ease uh, by the end of this year. Uh, you know, that's exactly what they said last year. So take that with a grain of salt. But yes, they're expecting it to ease. Now, all of these measures you're talking about, the, the E15 ethanol allowing that, it's an emergency waiver from the uh, EPA mm -hmm. that will allow that to be sold through mid-September. Um, you know, that does a number of things. You know, it's a signal that, hey, we're trying to stopgap measures. And again, releasing the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the E15 ethanol, um, allowing that to be sold longer. That, those are stopgap measures. Um, you know, on the ethanol point, you know, it does reduce fuel economy uh, in cars, which is something that environmentalists don't want to see. It also adds smog mm -hmm. to certain areas. But you're only talking about that particular blend being sold at 2300 gas stations across the United States, there's 150,000 fueling stations across the U.S. So only 1.5 percent of them sell this ethanol. It's not going to have a huge effect. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I've seen it a yeah. lot like in the Midwest, Iowa, obviously. Um, I yes. don't think we have much in the way of E15 here in the D.C. area. No. And, and you won't see that it's, again, 2,300 stations, the majority of them in the Midwest, because that's where the corn is. Right. And there's a corn starch is what uh, is added to gasoline to make the uh, ethanol. So, again, these are sort of measures that are 
short term, see what we can do to bring gas right. prices down now. Is there an expectation that, that the oil market is going to kind of recover once there's a little bit maybe more clarity on, on how some of the Russian oil is going to be made up? Yeah, this goes back to your, what you were asking before, which I should have gotten to. But uh, by the end of this year, the White House believes that more oil production will come online. They believe mm -hmm. that um, companies or some oil companies are starting to look at the price of oil and saying, huh, maybe it makes sense for us to expand some of the capacity and try and take advantage of these higher um, oil prices for us. So the White House believes that some oil companies will start production or will have production uh, ramped up by the end of this year, and that will add more supply. So what they're trying to do is a stopgap measure um, between the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, pushing companies, asking them to, to uh, pump more oil, asking OPEC to pump more oil, asking other uh, international actors uh, to pump more oil uh, and selling this ethanol just to get to that end of the year. Oh, by the way, that happens to be when there's a midterm election. <laughs> so after the election, if it doesn't work out, you know. <laughs> I mean, one more question about that aspect. The, the U.S. is going to have to buy 180 million barrels of oil, right? They have to make up the, the release from the yes. petroleum reserve. They're going to buy that from U.S. Man, uh, U.S. Uh, pr uh, petroleum companies, right? They're going to buy that on the open market. Okay. Um, the Biden administration has pushed for it to be American supplied. Yes, but you're talking about if gas, if oil prices don't come down, we've you know used up cheaper barrels because uh, it went in at a lower cost, right. and you're going to replace it at a higher cost. Um, you know, at some point, we do have to replace those reserves. They're at the lowest levels since, what, the early 80s. Yeah, I mean, because that's what the U.S. tries to do with the, the reserves, right, is when oil prices are low, the U.S. buys up a lot of that for the, the strategic reserves. Yes, and, and the if reserves they can. <laughs> are... The, if they can. The reserves are meant to be used just in emergencies as a stopgap. It was right. never meant to be used, as it is here, as a long-term solution to bring down prices. So well, that's been a, a point of contention for a number of people. I think the, an emergency is in the eye of the uh, beholder in, in some of these circumstances, isn't it? Right, exactly. Um, hurricanes, yeah, it's been used. Yeah. it's been used in the past for hurricanes, fires... Um, when when they've had fires on refi on on refinery or processing okay. plants uh, or on um, the the oil drilling rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, they've used it then. Uh, but yeah, this is the first time it's going to be used for such a long period of time. Are there are other steps that that you expect to see over the next few weeks here that the White House can take because I know you and I have talked about this before. There are things that administrations can do to combat inflation, but there are a lot of things administrations really are, are at the mercy of of the global supply chain, uh, economic forces, right? You know, it, when you when you look at this and you've been covering it as long as we have, you know, Larry Summers, former Treasury official yes. under the Obama administration, right? He says that you, we need to expand. Uh, the U.S. energy independence instead of contracting it. And that's what's happening. The, the energy independence is now contracting and that's causing the problems. There's enough oil in the ground in the United States to not only supply the United States, but also supplant what um, Europe needs, uh, what they're getting from Russia and, and from the Saudis. So there is enough oil. The problem is, you know, incentivizing U.S. companies to go get it. 
Um, it's very expensive and it takes a long time, especially with the permitting process and the added regulations that have come on with the Biden administration. Um, so that's at the heart of this. There's a number of people you can talk to on Capitol Hill. There's a number of economists where if you just go back to expanding that energy independence, it will then start the deflation or, or the inflation coming down, I should say. Deflation is another economic term, but inflation coming down. What should that sort of rate, uh, how do you sort of tell? I mean, that's another good question, right? You want inflation to come down, but not too much, right? <laughs> like that's something, that's right. another problem right. for the economy, isn't it? Yeah, some inflation is good. Um, <laughs> and, and you need to have this that. is hard but stuff. Too much infl- <laughs> right, too much inflation, which is what we're seeing now, is not yeah. good. And, and what You will constantly hear about this wage inflation cycle, and this is what people are worried about with inflation, and it could get out of control, is that, you know, it it costs more to make something, right? So people are spending more. Um, Well, you need to get employees to come in. You have to pay more for those employees who are spending more because they want more money for the things they spend. So you pay them more, and then the stuff that you make needs to be more to handle the increased cost of the employees that you've just hired. And that cycle continues. It gets higher and higher and higher and higher. And that is is the wage inflation people are worried about, a cycle that we could get into. And that's the cycle that the Federal Reserve is trying to stop, which is where why we might, and this is on a tangent, but we might see a 50 uh, basis point increase, a 0.5% increase of the interest rates, the federal funds rate, um, in the next meeting. And we've talked about that a little bit. That's the the base rate. We expect that to go up incrementally now over the next several months, right? Yeah, exactly. And and it was supposed to, if you look at the Fed minutes from the last meeting, they were going to go 0.5% at the last meeting, but didn't because of the uncertainty with the invasion in Ukraine. Um, so it's almost certain uh, the, everybody's predicting, the market is looking at, that there will be a 50 basis point increase in the next meeting. And they will continue that until they can get inflation under control. You know, the Cleveland Federal Reserve has said that if with all the data that's coming in, the federal funds rate, the infl- the interest rate should be somewhere around three and a half percent. You know, right now we're at 0.25 percent. So we're, we are way off where we need to be. And in order to bring inflation down, the interest rates should actually be more than inflation to really clamp down on inflation. So, that, you know, that's almost 8 <laughs> percent. We're nowhere near that level. Right. Well, we'll continue to follow it. I know this has been a big issue for the White House. You've continued to do your reporting on it. I appreciate you helping us uh, make sense of it. It's a lot of trends. <laughs> it's sort of hard to digest. And you always help us do that, Edward. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Students across the country celebrated spring break this week. For many, that probably lingers in the next week, too. In Congress is no different, though it's not exactly pool parties or vacation getaways for most lawmakers. There are trips, however. Lawmakers have spent this week back home hearing from constituents in Poland and Ukraine, meeting with refugees and European leaders. Others took a trip to the southern border to warn against lifting a public health order expected to cause another surge in migrant crossings. My colleague covering Capitol Hill, Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram, is paying attention to those I itineraries because they can tell us where lawmakers plan to go when recess ends later this month. 
You know, Congress is deserving of a lot of criticism. But one thing that is not an accurate criticism is that members of Congress take a recess or they're not working or something Mm -hmm. like that. Members of Congress, frankly, uh, and this is not going local here, going native here at the Capitol, having covered Congress for a long time like like you and I have. But, you know, they are forced to always be in session, whether they're in session in Washington or in session in their districts. Uh, So two things go on in this district in this district work period. This is where they go back home. This is the first really big recess they've had since Christmas time. And sometimes, as you know, the Christmas recess and the August recess doesn't really happen around here. We've talked a lot about those Mm -hmm. two things over the years. So this is the first big window of time, usually around Easter and Passover, where what they can do, they can go home to their districts, have town meetings, meet with people, meet with business groups, the Chamber of Commerce. You know, Mitch McConnell has been running all over every hill and dell and holler in the Commonwealth of Kentucky the past couple of days. Um, And then you have other groups of people who go overseas. Mm -hmm. Now, what has been happening during this recess is you've had members going to Poland, Slovakia, Steny Hoyer, the majority leader, was leading a group of uh, folks to Denmark and to Germany. Uh, Hoyer is of uh, Danish descent, by the way, and they were Mm -hmm. going to the Polish-Ukraine border for obvious reasons. You also have a number of members uh, on the left and the right going to the Texas border, going to the border with California and Arizona with Texas as well uh, because of all of the immigration issues. Uh, You know, this is a a crisis. This is an issue of great import. Republicans focusing on this a great deal going into the midterm elections and and seeing, you know, what might happen here after Title 42, the pandemic era um, restriction that was put in place by the Trump administration and and carried over by the Biden administration to really lock down the border a little bit more. And there's a lot of concern that there's going to be this surge of people coming through the border uh, once they lift this on May 23rd. So members are very busy. The other thing that's going on is this is a midterm election year. So when they go and meet with the Chamber of Commerce, they go and meet with constituents. Uh, there is a lot of politicking going on here because this is you know, probably the biggest chance between now, Memorial Day, 4th of July, August recess, and then right before the campaign, you know, we're in the, the last five windows of time where they're really going to be back in their districts a lot, talking to their constituents and pressing the flesh and making the case to elect them in November. That's what goes on during a recess. It sounds kind of busy. It's not right. exactly, well, you know, everybody kicks their feet up on the desk. Particularly as it relates to, to those groups that are traveling overseas or traveling to the southern border. Does that then sort of tell us what the, the primary focus of Congress will be when they come back now uh, at the end of this month? You have hit the nail on the head that that tells you a great deal because the Republicans think that the border is a problem that they're going to drive well, home. S- in it's the not just Republicans, though. I mean, you yeah. know, we saw Maggie Hassan from the border state of New Hampshire, although that is a, a border that we share with Canada in mm-hmm. Quebec. Uh, what is she doing down there at the border? Well, she has a competitive reelection bid going on this fall and to express concern about the border, to express concern about what the Biden administration is doing, which there's Democrats like Henry Cuellar, a Democrat from Texas, who is in a runoff here in about uh, you know four or five weeks. He has a border district in Texas. He's a moderate Democrat. You know, not only is it just for political purposes, uh, but these Democrats trend toward the, the middle, probably Henry Cuellar more so than Maggie Hassan, but mm-hmm. Mark Kelly, a Democrat from Arizona, again, you know, represents a border state. It's good politics to show your opposition 
to the administration. Use the use the president of your party as a foil to say, oh, we don't go along with them on everything. And we disagree vehemently with this policy. Kirsten Sinema, the Democratic senator from Arizona, who is not up this fall, is basically doing the same thing. And there's a, a coalition of about you know, eight Democrats in both the House and Senate here who have really uh, taken the administration to task about this Title 42 business. So there, it is good politics, but it's something that they are genuinely concerned about. And Republicans can also use this to weaponize uh, the subject going into the midterms because they said, look, we are really concerned about border security. And you see what the Biden administration has done. Do you feel safe in your homes? And Democrats, those vulnerable Democrats that I talked about from those swing states and districts, want to be on the, quote, right side of that issue. But there may be a deal here to make as it relates to Title 42, because, you know, Congress was unable, the Senate was unable to advance that $10 billion in COVID relief that at one point was thought to be on a fast track. It was held up because Republicans then demanded a vote on prohibiting Title 42. Title 42. Yeah. And yeah. the reason that they didn't get an amendment vote is there were enough Senate Democrats who would have voted for it that that thing would have passed. So, does you know this signal that you know maybe Democrats in the Senate are going to have to relent on on that demand, or, or how does that get solved in the context of of COVID relief that the White House says uh, has to be passed pretty much the day that that Congress gets back to work at the end of the month? Well, lifting Title Forty Two is something that the left wing of the Democratic Party really wanted. They said mm-hmm. you know that there were. Uh, asylum provisions, which were undercut by this, people seeking asylum in the United States. And so they need to have Title 42 revoked. So this was a nod to the left. It will come down to the votes in the Senate, and it looks like there's probably enough votes in the Senate, or at least get Democrats in, you know, to take a, a challenging vote, you know, if they vote, quote, the wrong way on this issue, you know, that Republicans can turn around and weaponize that roll call vote against them. Oh, can you believe they voted against, uh, you know, taking away Title 42 and we think it should still be on the books or something like that? That could be a very controversial vote, which they would use against those those members of Congress and the Senate. Now, you talk about a potential deal. The reason before the recess that they did not pass this COVID bill $10 billion in COVID aid, which people are starting to wonder about because, hey, you know, we've seen we've seen it, you know, well, in person here at the Capitol. Up, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about CODELs, congressional delegations traveling overseas. We were in the press room when House Speaker Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi was supposed to have her press conference and it was announced that she had tested positive. And what that meant is that she was not going to Asia and Taiwan and taking a bunch of lawmakers with her for you know part of the recess here on, on a delegation trip over there. So, you know, that's what got canceled because of COVID. So they they feel as though to continue to have vaccines and to continue to have tests and to continue to have therapeutics. And all this is free. This is on the government's dime here, you know, where people would otherwise have to pay out of pocket. Uh, They have to fund that. And even Speaker Pelosi indicated that this money would only run through about the 1st of June. Now, let's get into the real politic of this. If you add Title 42 to that bill, which probably would pass, and Chuck Schumer did not want to put his members into a delicate situation voting on that. Mm -hmm. And Mitch McConnell knew that he had him by the throat, that they were going to take a tough vote on that. That was the exchange to get the bill passed in the Senate, the COVID bill, tying border control, Title 42, to the COVID money. Now, the problem was the House of Representatives. Even if you pass that in the Senate and you have a supermajority then which can overcome a filibuster, which was probably what was going to happen, you bounce it back to the House, that would not go anywhere in the House. That really had trouble in the House of Representatives. To say nothing of another problem. The other problem 
to some degree in the Senate, again, more so in the House of Representatives, was that they stripped about $5 billion in COVID aid for the international community Mm -hmm. from that bill. And, you know, you talk to Tom Malinowski, who's a, a Democratic congressman from New Jersey and, and, and others, and they will point out, they said, well, every variant we've had has been from overseas. And so we have to address this universally, globally. We just can't deal with the United States here. I guess maybe the new variant in Washington, D.C., Jared, is the tuxedo variant um, after the white tie gridiron dinner where more than 80 persons uh, that we know of out of 600 and some people tested positive after that and really calls into question what they're going to do with the White House Correspondents Dinner, which is April 30th, which is, you know, four times the size of the gridiron dinner whether or not they can, you know, conduct that at all. I mean, I've right. talked to a couple of members of Congress who were planning on going and since decided not to because of that very concern. The other destination you talked about during this recess is, you know, these NATO countries, particularly those on the uh, Ukrainian uh, border that are bringing in refugees that are dealing with their own security issues. Is that a sign that when Congress gets back, you expect another multi-billion dollar aid package to pass? Well, some people have thought that that might be the recipe for the COVID bill. The Mm. idea that you say there's COVID money here, domestic and international, and that there is money here for Ukraine and other weapons and arms and humanitarian assistance and whatnot. Uh, That's usually how this has to go. I mean, everybody kind of knew when they tucked money into the omnibus spending bill to fund the government in the middle of March that this was going to be the next you know, batch of money. And they were probably going to have to do this in May or June or sometime soon. So that that might be the recipe. You know, there's not that many more trains that are going to be leaving the congressional station between now and November. We hear rumors about uh, build back better and overtures supposedly to Joe Manchin. You know, I talked to Joe Manchin a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think that he's in any different position than he ever was. He talks about bringing down the deficit and also uh, addressing uh, pharmaceutical prices, prescription drugs, something like that. And that's about as far as he's willing to go. Uh, You know, build back better. It's kind of like Schrodinger's cat. You know, it's both dead and alive, if you if you know your your quantum theory there, Jared. Uh, so uh, I don't know that anything gets done on that necessarily right away. Uh, the one thing that probably would move, because otherwise there is going to be a crisis in this country with COVID. And, you know, people are, are now used to showing up at the drugstore, showing up, you know, you know, getting a free test, showing up at the doctor's office. And then all of a sudden they got to pay for a test. I mean, mm-hmm. you thought it was hard to get a test around Christmas time. When Omicron was spiking, this would, you know, really make that look like child's play. So that's probably why they would have to address this. And maybe it takes, you know, them to get right up to the edge with a crisis of them being on the verge of not having that, you know, come June or something like Mm. that. And that's when the bill passes. A lot on the plate when Congress returns from uh, this two-week recess. So, Chad, enjoy your recess, but not a vacation. As uh, we my, my feet Congress are not up on the desk, as <laughs> I said. You know, we're, we're here working. You know, there's we're no working. recess for us. You know, as somebody uh, you know who I used to work with uh, here on Capitol Hill said to me, "This place has no beginning, no middle, and no end." And uh, <laughs> even though they're out of session, we're in uh, the no beginning, no middle, and no end part. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, some changes to the way Republicans and Democrats plan to run their nominations for president in 2024. We'll look at some rules changes and calendar shakeups. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown.
from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.